understand that there's nothing more powerful in this world than love. And love will change the world. And, and, and Scripture makes it perfectly plain that, that God is love. And so we can't divorce what we do from everyday love. And, and, and that, of course, is, is the fault of what we do. We think that because we are the church, because we go to church, we think because we are good neighbors, that therefore we must love our neighbors. And we're very, very self-deceived in, in this. We simply don't seem to understand the incredible failure to love of which we are guilty. Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. I just want to challenge you. I want you to understand very, very plainly. The scripture says, Beloved, uh, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, whatever else I preach, whatever else we choose to value, whatever else we choose to celebrate, if we do not focus on everyday lives of love, then we are not following Jesus. We're not following Jesus. As a matter of fact, I go so far as to say this, and some of you will struggle with this, but understand, the, the best way to measure your spiritual life is to look at the way you treat people every day. This is the best measure. It's not how, how often do you come to church or, or, or do you tithe. All of these things matter. But I'm telling you, nothing matters like love matters. And the best measure of your spiritual life is just to look at how you treat people, to look at how you love people. If you're wondering what kind of a Christian you are, ask your spouse, ask your family, ask the people who have to work with you, ask the people who have to live on the other side of you what it's like to live on the other side of you. And they'll let you know how very closely you're imitating Jesus. It's very simple. The best way to measure your spiritual life is to look at the way you treat people every single day. Now, I've noticed as a pastor, in lots of ways, we struggle in our lives, we struggle in our Christian lives, but whenever people struggle in their faith, it always comes out in relationships, because as I say, nothing matters as much as love matters. And as we learn to follow Jesus and become more like Jesus, he's making us to love like he loves. And so our failures in faith will always inevitably be failures in love. And so you have to understand this in, in your very own life. Relationship problems are spiritual problems. The, the fact that you've been married all of these numbers of times and the marriage you're in now isn't working out. You understand? This is a spiritual problem. It's just not that you can't ever find the right person. This isn't a dating problem. This is a spiritual problem. Relationship problems are always spiritual problems. The, 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 the fact that your family's broken, the, the, the fact that you leave in, in, in your trail behind you a, a long, long uh, history of broken relationships, this is a spiritual issue for you. In any marriage where there is problems, I'll always, always argue that, that the problem is not anything less than the fact that in this marriage that has problems, we have either one person or two people who do not know how to love like Jesus loves. You say, no, pastor, we know our problem, it's communication. We struggle with communication in our family. Well, I, I would just argue with you, you could learn a lot of commun communication skills. There are whole books written on that. But if you lack the spiritual fruit of patience, if you are just not able to, like, to shut up and listen, then no communication skills can help you. If you lack the humility simply to admit when you're wrong, do you understand how this works? We're talking about spiritual problems here, problems of the heart, and problems of the heart always, always require spiritual solutions, well, Pastor Tim, my problem is anger. I struggle with anger. It's not a spiritual problem. It's an anger problem. 
No, 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 no. You got to understand. Scripture says that love bears all things, forgives all things. So once you get the love of Jesus in your heart, you will suddenly, all of a sudden, magically find yourself with this ability to put up with things without blowing up. You will have this ability to forgive people without spending your whole life plotting revenge. You understand how this works? Relationship problems are always spiritual problems. Always. And that is why Scripture continues over and over and over to bring us back to our obligation as Christ followers, the obligation to love people. Which brings us to Galatians chapter 5. I'll I'll shut up and read it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Now we're going to get to the passage about the fruit of the Spirit, which some of you have memorized, and you know that list of the fruits of the Spirit, and your grandma embroidered it, and it's on your kitchen wall and all of this. but, But put these verses in the context and listen to what the Word of God says today about our obligation to love and what that requires of us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 is where we'll begin. You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. I could just stop and preach right there, but I will go ahead and read. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires. They're the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Here we go. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I had before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Okay, Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians. He's talking about freedom, and he's talking about our obligation to the law. And he sums it up. It comes down to verse 14 there, and he says, The whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, everybody knows that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we've been talking about this for several weeks. We have today and one more week to talk about it. But, but now listen to what Paul says here because it's very important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law can be summed up in, in this one command. But now Paul goes on to talk about what makes this possible. Because you're thinking that if you just try harder, you're thinking that if you're just a nicer person, that you'll somehow fulfill this. And I'm telling you, we're not talking about niceness. Niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit, if you notice. We have some very nice people in our lives, some very nice people everywhere. Woodburn is filled with nice people. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about you just trying harder to be nicer to people, because I'm telling you, if, if there is any real hope of you becoming a nicer person, you'd have done that by now. We've given up on that. I mean, you understand? We don't have that in us. There's not any more niceness that somehow just been untapped in me. It's not going to come from me. It's not in me. Notice what Paul says right here. There are these two forces that are always fighting each other. It's the sinful nature in me. And then the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit versus the flesh, the Spirit versus the sinful nature. And what Paul makes perfectly clear here is that loving your neighbor as yourself requires the Spirit's power. You don't have it in you. You're not going to do this. And your definition of loving your neighbor, I guarantee, is always going to fall somewhere very, very short of the obligation when you start really following Jesus and loving like Jesus loves. You don't have this kind of love in you. I know, I know you all personally, you're very, very nice people, but your niceness has limits. Your niceness have, has limits. I've seen you in the church parking lot, people. Your niceness has limits. We run out. I, I, I've seen you, and you've seen me. You just can't count on us. I don't have this bottomless, bottomless well of love and, and devotion and affection coming up from me. It's not in me. In me is this sinful nature, and I'm continuing to battle this sinful nature. It makes me selfish. It, it destroys my, my desire and my ability to love people. It, it's not in me. I need the Spirit. And this is what Paul is saying. It requires the Spirit's power to love like Jesus. You're not going to do this without Christ. You're not going to do this without living by, being guided by, controlled by, empowered by the Spirit of God. You need God's power. Now, notice, this is so very basic, but somehow we miss it. Something fogs our minds. We're not able to understand this very, very simple principle. Go to verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. When you're following your sinful nature, we're not talking about you becoming some sort of, you know, awful, horrible person. I mean, you are, we all are, but, but, but it's just a sinful nature. This is human nature. So what Paul's about to describe is how everybody in this world lives. I mean, you read it and you picture just, bleh, you know, just, just, you know, people at their worst, but no, this is just people as people. This is how people are. This is what happens every time people do their own thing. Every time people follow their own heart, every time people just live according to human nature, this is what it looks like. And you notice sexual sin sort of top the list. That's not because the Bible is somehow, you know, you know, puritanical and just against sex. It's not that. It's just simply when we misuse one another's bodies for our own selfishness. 
When I look at you and I make your body an object of my lust, you understand? That's a failure to love right there. It betrays this horrible tendency for inside my heart for me to look at other people and use them for myself, for my own pleasure, for my own entertainment. I mean, this is how people are. The the results are clear when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. Now notice, every single one of these horrible things that come out of our human nature, our sinful nature, these are all relational. Notice exactly what it says. Sexual immorality, that's relational. It sort of requires somebody else to sin sexually. But when you sin sexually with somebody, you're also sinning against somebody. Do you see that? Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Y'all, that just describes your entire Thanksgiving with your family. I mean, right there. It's not a joke. Doesn't it break your heart? Does it break your heart that there's so much jealousy in you? Does that never bother you? Hostility, quarreling? Well, Pastor Tim, I'm not out there looking for a fight, but if somebody starts one, I'll be in it. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And Paul says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you not see that? What we're describing are everyday things, selfish ambition. People who live that way cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Oh, I don't have outbursts of anger. And you know, it's just that somebody makes me mad. Isn't that funny? How it's never your fault. It's always other people. You could love like Jesus if everybody else, you know, didn't just get under your skin. This is what we're talking about. You would love like Jesus if you had the Spirit's power controlling you, but you don't. And since you don't, you look like everybody else. Your heart is full of jealousy and division and quarreling and and, and lust and selfishness, dissension, anger. I mean, the list goes on. Doesn't it break your heart? We don't read this list. We skip down to the fruit of the Spirit and then we pretend like that list describes us better. It doesn't. It doesn't. And it's devastating for us that we look more like the first list. But it simply reveals, because Paul says it's clear that when your heart is full of jealousy and anger and quarreling, it's simply because you follow your human nature, your sinful nature, instead of following the Spirit. I'm telling you, it may be normal for others to fornicate, hate, and divide, but it's not normal for those who love Jesus. That's not normal. It's not normal. The fact that you have people that you're so angry at, you haven't spoken to them in years, that's not normal for a Christian. The fact that in church people can't get along, people can't forgive, that's not normal. The fact that for Christians not to be able to make a promise and keep it for life, that's not normal. The fact that Christian marriages continue to crumble and fail like everybody else's, that's not supposed to be normal. The fact that we're as likely to be jealous and angry and lustful as everybody else, that's not normal. It's not normal. It's not supposed to be normal for those who love Jesus. We're supposed to look different, be different, act different. We're supposed to love differently because we have the spirit. Now notice what the scripture says. But 
The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Switches the language here. The language now is language of fruit. It's an idea that it's, it's spontaneous. An apple tree just bears apples. A peach tree just bears peaches. Strawberry vines just bear strawberries. It's natural. It's spontaneous. It's what comes out of them because that's what they are. They're just absolutely being true to what they are. You've never walked by an apple tree and seen it out there going, pushing out apples. No, it just flowers with apples. It just flourishes because that's what it is. It's true to what it is. And once the Holy Spirit takes control of you, it changes your heart. And these qualities begin to come out in your relationships because it's true to who you are. You're a different kind of person. You're not like the world. You're not even like your old self. You're becoming more like Jesus every day. Your life just bears fruit. You shouldn't have to, you know, bust a blood vessel in your temple trying to be patient because the spirit bears that fruit in you. It's the spirit's work, not even yours. It just comes out because of the spirit it's in you. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that sound like you? Patient? People in your life, they know you as a patient person. You know, there are people with a short, a short fuse, short-tempered people. That word here for patience, it just means long-tempered. It means it takes a long, long time to get you to lose your temper. Got a long fuse. Is, is that you? Patience. You can just put up with it, you know, for a long, long time. Joy. Just joyfulness. It comes out in your relationships. People can't wait to be with you because you are going to bring them joy. It's contagious. Kindness. Everybody know you as a kind person? Well, I don't know about everybody, Pastor Tim, but my family knows I'm kind. My, my friends know I'm kind. I'm kind to my church friends. Yeah, it's just what I'm telling you. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. We're not talking about kindness that, 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 that comes and goes depending on who you're with. That's something else. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. You see, this is what I want you to understand today. Most Christians, most everybody that you know that isn't exactly following Jesus, don't know what they say, most people have this sort of circle of kindness. Just kind of a circle. And I am naturally kind to those inside my circle. Now, that circle is probably going to include my family, some of them. That circle is going to include the friends that I really love, the people I love to be with. Basically, the people I'm kind to are the people that show me kindness back. But it's a circle. and It's a closed circle. That means that there's some people in my life who know me as I like to think of myself, a nice person, a generous person. But there are other people who won't know me like that because I'm different with them. It's a circle. It's a circle. 
And if you're inside the circle, kindness and love, these things flow. But outside the circle, you'll probably just get indifference from me. I'll probably just ignore you. I won't think much of you at all. I may be polite in a social kind of way, but not especially generous, not especially warm. I just treat you like a stranger because that's what you are to me, a stranger. I have a circle of love and kindness, and that's where, that's where it flows in my life, inside the circle. You're probably the same way. A man named Richard Beck has an amazing book. I love it. I recommend it. It's called Unclean. The link is in the live event today. Richard Beck gives an illustration of this, this, this circle of kindness, this moral circle, he calls it. He illustrates it this way. He says, imagine that you have a friend who gets a job at a waitress at a new restaurant. And it's her first night. And to celebrate her job, you and a bunch of your friends, y'all decide to go to that restaurant, go to that restaurant and sit at one of her tables and let your friend wait on you. It's not like fun. And so that's what you do. You and your friends, you go to the restaurant. You make sure that you sit at one of her tables and your friend begins to wait on you. The problem is, as soon as you see your friend at work, at the waitress, this first night, you recognize she is stressed out. I mean, she is struggling, struggling. She's just not getting it. She's not getting the food out. She's not getting the drinks out. People are starting to complain. And you recognize that your friend is having a bad night. So what would you say to your friend? You would say, you and your friends would say, listen, please, go take care of everybody else. We'll be fine. You just take care of the others. You just you take care of us when you can. We're fine. We'll order later. Take care of our drinks later. You go take care of everybody else. We're good. We're good, right? And then when it's over, you'd probably still tip her big and you'd say, listen, you are fantastic. You are so good. You're going to get this. You're going to get this. First night was rough, but you're awesome. We love you, right? Right. You would do that because she's inside your circle of kindness. She's your friend. She's inside that circle. And so you would show her just naturally the warmth, the understanding, the compassion, the encouragement. That would just come out of you because she's in your circle. It's natural inside the circle. But now let's just imagine for a moment that you go out with friends tonight to a restaurant and you don't know the waitress. And you sit down, and she's stressed out, and what's your first thought? What is her problem? What is her problem? And all of a sudden, she doesn't get right to your, right to your table to take your order, and you're shoving that menu thinking, listen, I can get up and walk out of here. We can go to cookout. We can walk right out of here across, we can be a cookout in five minutes where there's real service. Now, wouldn't you? And your iced tea glass gets empty, and all of a sudden you're like, <coughs> rattling the glass, you know, rattling the ice, going, hmm, miss, you know. I've been a waiter. I've been a waiter. You know what I hated more than anything when I was a waiter? People calling me boy. Boy. They shake the glass and go, boy. Boy. Yeah. You'd be shaking your glass going, boy. Boy. And then when it's over... You know, when you haven't gotten the good service, you'd probably say, may I speak to the manager, please? And would you leave a tip? Absolutely not. You might leave a few words that you could scratch on the ticket to let them know your displeasure. Okay, what's the difference? Why are you different? Why is it if it's your friend, you'd be so understanding, so compassionate, so encouraging? You'd tip, you'd encourage, great job. But if it's somebody you don't know, you would probably, probably treat them like, like something less than a human being. You wouldn't even recognize them as human. 
You wouldn't care about their feelings. You wouldn't care about anything that might be going on in their life. All you care about is your empty tea glass. Boy, boy. Do you understand how this works? It's this circle of kindness that you live inside. It's a circle of kindness, and you sort of give kindness to those who deserve your kindness. And you withhold it from those who don't deserve it, which is basically most everybody on the planet that you don't know personally and don't like. I don't expect that you've read Anton LaVey's The Satanic Bible, but I have. You know that there are principles of Satanism? You know what the fourth principle of Satanism is, according to Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible? The fourth principle of Satanism is kindness. Kindness. Satanists believe in kindness. Who knew? I thought they were just, you know, killing chickens in barns. Satanists believe in kindness. Fourth principle of Satanism, kindness. You show kindness to those who deserve it. Fourth principle of Satanism. Show kindness to those who deserve it, but don't waste your love on ingrates. That's a quote. That's Satanism, y'all. That's Satanism. Be kind to those who deserve your kindness, but don't waste your love on ingrates. Some of us would make better Satanists than Christians, let's be honest. Because that's how you live your life. You're kind to those who are kind to you, and sometimes not even to them if you got something against them. I mean, we're not very kind to everybody, just some people. People inside the circle. Understand, part of this breaks down in the word itself. The word kindness is related to all these other words that have to do with, with like family, kin, and, and kindred. The word kindness literally means the feeling of relatives for one another. So even the word kindness, it goes back to this idea that, that there are those who are inside your circle of kindness and those outside the circle of kindness. And in, by the old terminology, we were thinking in terms of relatives. That's why sometimes you go to churches that don't love like Jesus loves. And, and I've heard people describe Woodburn this way. They say Woodburn is like going to a family reunion, only it's not your family. What's that mean? Well, they sort of love some people as if they were family, but if you weren't in that circle, you didn't get the same kind of love. Do you understand what this is saying? Do you understand how this scripture explains what love looks like? It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but not just for certain people. Not just for your family, not just for people who treat you that, that way in return. Understand, it's not kindness if they're being kind to you. It doesn't take any effort. It doesn't take any supernatural power to be patient when nobody's on your nerves. It doesn't take any supernatural power to not get angry if nobody's pressing your buttons. This is how it works. It takes supernatural power to have their food of the Spirit. We're not talking about kindness just for those who deserve it. Satanists can do that. We're talking about those who live according to the Spirit of Jesus and follow His example. And their lives look very different. Very, very different. 
So if it turns out that you're only showing the Spirit's fruit to certain people, then you don't have the Spirit's fruit. If you're only showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to, to certain people, then you don't have the Spirit's fruit. It's something else. That's devastating, isn't it? Because there is still so much of the sinful nature left in me, man. I don't know that I love everybody. I want to think I do. I want to say I do. It's a whole lot easier to say that until I get out and meet, you know, some people. I like to think of myself as a kind person, but there are days and, and there are people who can tell stories of, in, in which I was not kind. I want to say I'm patient, but there are days when I get so very impatient. How do I explain that? Because the Spirit of God isn't moving in and out of my life. If He's there, the, the fruit should be born daily, everywhere, with everybody. It's exactly why this passage takes us exactly to the only place we can go for help. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, crucified them there. This passage about love and the requirement of the Spirit's power, it, it, it leads to the gospel. Because you're not going to do this without Christ. There are parts of you that absolutely have to be crucified with Christ. That have got to be put to death. That, that anger inside of you, sir, it has to be put to death. It, it can't just, you know, where you just learn to control it. No, you don't control it. You don't take your anger home and try to keep it as a pet. You have to kill it. It, it has to be destroyed at the cross of Jesus. This, this lustful fantasy mind that you have, sir, that, that causes you to look at everybody and immediately start to fantasize about them spiritually. This is a perversion of love, and it shows something very very, very dark and sinful about your heart. You're not going to learn to control it. Understand, accountability may be part of your solution, but it's not the main solution. That lustful heart that's inside of you, it has to be taken to the cross of Jesus and nailed there, crucified there. You have to put these things to death. That, that selfishness in you, it has to die. It's not just you learn to control it. It has to be put to death. It has to die so that the Holy Spirit can bring this, this fruit out of the soil of what's dead inside of you. What, is, what has had to be put to death so that life, the real life in the Spirit begins to flourish. You've got to come back to the cross of Jesus. You've got to fall on your face there and let some things be put to death at His cross. Mostly yourself. The sinful nature, the selfishness in you. That tendency you have to just want to love certain people. That, that's evil. It's evil. Put it to death. Let it die. Let the Holy Spirit begin to truly bring a life of love out of your heart. Because when the Holy Spirit brings it out of you, that means it's in you. And if it's in you, it's going to come out all the time. It won't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter if they push your buttons. It doesn't matter who they are, what color they are, if they're from this country. It's not going to matter. Because when the Holy Spirit's love is in you, it's going to come out of you. 
When it's the Holy Spirit's fruit of kindness, you want to be kind to everybody all the time. Joyful, peaceful, gentle, faithful. Amen. Love is the most powerful thing in all the universe because God is love. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God, not us. Those who love know God are born of God, but those who do not love do not know God because God is love. We're saying God's love is going to change the world. That's the gospel. God's love will change the world. God's love will win. God's love will endure. But before you taste any of it, before God's love ever going to change the whole world, you're going to have to let God's love change you. It's got to change you. Pray with me. Jesus, we don't love, we avoid. The people that I don't like to be kind to, I just don't go around them. I avoid them. That the people that get under my skin, Lord Jesus, I've just learned how to not have to deal with them. I, I, it's, it's a big world and I can live on the other side of it. Those who have needs that would cost me something, Lord, I've just learned how to not see their needs. I, I can change the channel at any moment of my life, Lord. And those who ask for my help, I've got a thousand ways to convince myself that they don't deserve my help. Help me to see what a wicked man I am. No matter how many sermons I preach, no matter how much money I give, no matter what kind of a good name I develop for those within my circle, Lord, if I do not love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. God, make this to be a church of true believers, truly spiritual people who walk in the power of the Spirit and live with the love of the Spirit. In such a way, Lord, where the world would look at us and say, my, how they love each other. How they love the world. Make us to love the world. Help us, Lord, not to be at peace when there are people out there suffering, hungry, thirsty, enslaved. Help us, Lord, not to pat ourselves on the back and convince ourselves that we are some kind of Christian people when we do not have the love of Jesus in us. When we have anger and jealousy and a lack of forgiveness, Lord, when we continue to nurse a grudge for weeks, for months, for years, Lord, make us to see what wicked people we are when we fail to love like you love, oh Jesus. It's not in us. So, Lord Jesus, we beg you, at the foot of your cross, by the power of the cross, put your love in us. Let your spirit control us. May the fruit of your spirit be born in us. In every relationship with every person, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let these things be born in our lives with everyone and not just those inside the circle. 
pray these things in the name of Jesus for our sakes and for the sake of the world. Amen.